Welcome back to Inspiring Neighbors Podcast, where we showcase seemingly ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Isn't it nice that we don't forget that anymore? It just rolls off our yeah. tongue because we've said it so many times. Yes. How are you, <laughs> Angela? I'm good. When I hear welcome back, I just fill in the rest. That's true. Like if anybody says it, you walk into work and the boss says, welcome back. To <laughs> inspiring like, inspiring. neighbors. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Okay, who did we have on today? We had a super cool guy. Super cool who guy. Who has been performing for a lot of his life. Yeah. Tell us more, Trevor. Okay, so this guy, like you said, he's been a lifelong performer. He calls himself a lifelong creative, which I love. I think I might steal that. This person started performing, if you could believe it or not. And we're not saying like performing on his fireplace mantle. We're like he was actually performing in front of crowds, putting on he shows. Was five years old with magic shows, mm-hmm. and it and these things keep leading to other things. He had a twenty-three year career in rap, mm-hmm. performing, wow. writing, <laughs> recording. He's released albums. I can't say that word. Album albums. Albums. Fun fact: Trevor can't say the word <laughs> albums. I say album. He is now the CEO of Maxigram Media Inc. Yeah, and most recently creating, like kind of inventing this new technology to help tell stories and mm-hmm. um, show what brands are all about and tell, mm-hmm. tell that through like technology. It, he just had this crazy idea and then made it happen and invested uh, years and built this amazing team of people that now have uh, have, have done it, have created this very... Very cool marketing technology. And he patented it. Like he has a patent patented. on this technology. Patented technology. Patented technology. <laughs> no, but I really enjoyed hearing how like he talks about his big epiphany related to love. And even though it's really hard to wrap words around that and and I appreciate his efforts to do that, what definitely was communicated is just how powerful of an experience he had and how he it's driving his choices to this day including business choices it's all centered Mm -hmm. around love and what does that mean in a practical sense he gets into quite a bit and the other thing i really enjoyed was his uh view on astrological signs and his own astrological sign and how it may affect things Uh, and, and it's just a really grounded and interesting perspective on how uh he views his personality no kidding. We loved having him. Without further ado, please enjoy the magnificent Matthew Jensen. Twenty twenty three. Still a dope MC. I'm in the place to be. I'm on the INP. Trevor to my left on the MIC, Angela to my right on the other. She be keeping Trevor in check and keeping me on track. Whenever we go off, she's always bringing us back. Together they inspire with their guest creators. What's the podcast name? Inspiring Neighbors. Oh, it's been so long, but it was one of my favorites my forever. My always making me rewatch that clip where he's like, they're doing now what we're doing now what we were doing then you oh know? my god and they're like replaying the video yeah. of like what was just happening oh it's my like what's god. happening now is happening now <laughs> maybe we should all just watch baseballs after the podcast that should be the podcast let's just watch it <laughs> <laughs> a podcast of totally. us watching baseball. Yeah. i've actually had a conversation with john candy's son no yeah what? chris candy really yeah 
he came up with this concept that uh you are you familiar that i do like a daily video yes social media right mm-hmm. and so chris candy came up with this concept called <laughs> hyper local news <laughs> and so it's like he does this whole news broadcast podcast type thing mm-hmm. and it's staged with like a plant and you know like zach galifianakis type uh-huh. thing, but made to look really pro and he mm-hmm. delivers it super pro but the the news is like here's what's going on at the store down the street <laughs> or in my apartment like it's super hyper local news and i thought it was it was so preposterous that i loved it more than anything and so i ended up reaching out to him and he actually got back to me and he's like, oh, let's do something. So we might. Like, it's still an ongoing process, but I have the email. That's amazing. Yeah, pretty fun. <laughs> and I loved, uh, I loved John Candy. Like, yeah. adored him. And another really cool thing is one of my friends is uh, Lachlan Monroe, who was actually filming with John Candy when he was doing his last movie. And the movie that he was doing when he passed away. And the last actual filmed footage of John Candy is on Lachlan's camcorder Mm -hmm. uh, because they would do skits and just like Mm -hmm. goof around after filming. Right. And so he said, the next time you come out to Vancouver, we'll have you over and we'll watch, I'll let you watch it. So I'll get to see footage that the world Mm -hmm. has never seen of one of the greatest comedians that ever lived. And the last footage. Yeah. Almost. You've met a lot of, I'm sure we're going to get into this, but you've met a lot of, interesting people yeah i found myself in pretty interesting situations like that i'm excited to hear about them all right the first time we met it was on the phone Mm -hmm. and you called and we ended up talking for like half an hour yeah like a half hour phone call full of laughter yeah (laughs) and yeah the rest is history i'm really surprised at the three months because i didn't know that but the way that trevor talks about you i thought you knew each other for years oh wow like an old friend i was like oh cool i'm so excited to meet matt that's cool (laughs) yeah that's great (laughs) I think Matt's that... just open to yeah. sharing a lot of things really fast. Maybe, yeah. Well, I, t- I talk fast, so maybe I just That's cover true. a long ground. <laughs> a half an hour call to me is like, <laughs> I can burn through that in 30 minutes. <laughs> I don't know why I laugh so hard at that. <laughs> so, I know a fact about you that you told me recently that starting near around the age of five, yeah. you became a performing magician. Correct. Can you tell us about that? Please. So when I was very, very young and just coming to that sort of formative age where I could, you know, learn what I like, mm-hmm. I remember watching a famous magician, Doug Hennig, on TV. And I was immediately hooked. Like within an instant, I'm like, that is what I want to do at five. Oh. And so I started to go through the process of learning, you know, magic. And, you know, it's weird where what roads it takes you down. And uh, I ended up doing that for a few years. And, but right away, I started actually performing for like neighborhood kids. I'd set up a little stage. <laughs> this and, is amazing. Yeah, they would come to see me. And, and uh, a really cool story was I was doing a show in Vancouver. I lived in Kelowna, but I was doing one in Vancouver because we were visiting my cousin. We were do- I was doing this show and uh, the, one of the people, one of the kids in the show told their parents about it. And then next thing I know, there was a knock at the door and we were being told me and my cousin who was also, he wanted to be a magician too. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, let's be like Matthew. Yeah, right? exactly. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they said, there's a gentleman who lives in this area who wants to meet you. And so we're like, okay, cool. And so we go to <laughs> meet this guy. Right. And not in creepy terms. Like it's not. And back then we're, like, we're talking fresh eighties. Like yeah. it wasn't like it, like it is now. <laughs> Yeah. So we go and meet this guy, and his name uh, was Paul Powers. 
And it turns out, so he says, come, come to my backyard. I'm going to show you some stuff. Right. <laughs> and Jesus. it was us and adults. Like we <laughs> yeah, were with adults. And so he showed us some magic tricks and, and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is like the coolest ever. Like, and he's a seasoned performer. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up giving us each a book and he signed the books and found out later that he was one of the principals at what's known as the magic castle in Hollywood. And so turns out that we were actually meeting someone who was well established in the magic world. Wow. Kind of cool. No and kidding. Yeah. But that's it. I, I mean, I ended up doing a, a, a lot of different shows. I went by the name The Magnificent Matthew. I love it. Whatever. <laughs> I'm going to call you that. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Did you come up with that? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, uh, and I had a cape. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. This sounds adorable. Do you yeah. have a photo you can share with us? I would have to see if my mom happens to have something from back then. I've I don't I don't recall ever seeing a photo of it. <laughs> I think we have the name of our episode. <laughs> no. The magnificent Matthew. No, no. <laughs> no, crazy. no, just keep listening. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. <laughs> So how long is a few years? I mean, most people at five, they're like, this is awesome. I'm yeah. going to do it for a week. And No, 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 no. I was, we're talking years. I, by the time I was done, I had like an actual like treasure, uh, like a magic chest filled with all these different tricks. And I maintained that collection for years and years and years. But I would say probably about seven years is, is wow. what I really committed to, to doing it. Five were like intense. Maybe the first two years weren't like major because I was only five, right? <laughs> Like, you don't, you're not like pro, you know, <laughs> but even seven, I have a seven year old upstairs. I can't imagine him committing to magic for, five oh no. Years. And I, and I practiced all the time. Like the good magicians back in the day would say, always practice in the mirror. And, mm. and I did that. I had like a mirror specifically for practicing the magic mirror. Yeah. The magic mirror. Now, if you wanted to learn things now, you kind of YouTube, I'm sure, but like YouTube has a wealth of yeah. tricks mm. to show you and teach you. Yeah. How did you learn good magic question. tricks? So we used to actually go, there was magic shops. Okay. And so we would go to magic shops and every once in a while. So I lived in small town Kelowna, so that we didn't have like a magic shop. But whenever we'd go to Vancouver, there was a few to choose from. And they always had like the real deal, like the big ones, you know, like the linking rings and the saw the woman in half type stuff. Um, But in our area, we would have a little bit at like the Toys and Wheels toy store, you know, before Toys R Us Mm -hmm. took over everything. And uh, you'd occasionally get a trick or something from there. Yeah. Right. But also other magicians will often give you a trick. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then another thing is that I learned a lot of card tricks because (laughs) once you have just a single deck of cards, you can do like 50 tricks. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, it was just a weird little part. I can't believe we're even talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) It's bizarre. But it blows my mind. Like, what do you think appealed to you? The joy. So the way that, Doug, the magician, made me feel mm-hmm. it's how I wanted to make other people feel. I saw what he was doing, not only to me, but to others. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to make people like fill with joy. And when you did it and you saw that people filled with joy, that was probably addicting. Uh, I don't know if you can be addicted to things at that age, but mm-hmm. I would say it's probably something akin to it. Yeah. Um, I also, um, my personality type is a little bit like just a tiny bit outgoing so mm-hmm. <laughs> uh i was i i do thrive on that feedback mm-hmm. sort of thing you know yeah. i did struggle with ego for many years we could maybe talk about that if you want but okay. i did struggle with it and but in that context it really was just like 
about the joy, yeah. right? And my ego would take a hit if there wasn't joy, right? You know, yeah. I think uh, that would be like the reason I would stop probably is yeah. because my ego is taking too many hits, right? Yeah. Interesting. I like to. I love feedback, whether critical or positive, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. because it's the only way to grow. Yeah. Right. And I learned that so well through career number three, which we'll get to in probably okay. an hour, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was doing graphic design at a commercial level uh-huh. because you get, you get some pretty crazy types of feedback. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Okay. So you're 13 ish when you retire from, yeah, you I hang retired. up the cape. Yeah. And did it have anything to do with now you're in what junior high? You're like senior level junior high. So the truth is, at nine, mm-hmm. I had another experience that then, like, I look at these like watershed moments in my life. Okay. So I had another experience at nine years old in the summer of 84 that then really changed the course of things for me. So I continued to do the magic a little bit, but it really petered out as this mm-hmm. new thing emerged, which pretty much took over by the time I was about 11. Oh, wow. Um. And so, do you want to know what it was? Yes, please. (laughs) I was hoping you would tell us. The coolest story is, so this was 84. And so there was no, I I don't even know if we had really cassette tapes at that point that I don't think they had quite come to the mainstream. And so I was at home one summer afternoon and my dad came home and he had a a record bag, right? Which in the old days was like as big as a curtain because it had to hold the record, right? (laughs) So he comes in with this big bag and he goes, Matthew, I found the coolest thing for you today. And I was like, what is it? And he goes, I got, I'll just got to show you. And so he takes out this record and he puts it on the turntable. And immediately I hear. And it was Herbie Hancock rocket with Grandmaster Kaz. And I, I can still feel it right now. I have goosebumps right now from remembering that moment of hearing that song that type of music, which is like hip hop beats, yeah. right? There was no words on that, on that, on that side of that album. The mm. other side was wrapped instructions of how to break dance. Mm. And instantly I'm like, I have to do this. Like mm. I, I have to be a break dancer. Ooh, you gave to. me shivers. Good yeah. storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what started that. And then I went into, I had been taking jazz or maybe jazz or size, probably jazz. Um, <laughs> Because it was the only choice. But then this breakdance just sort of like exploded onto the scene. And then I could take it like in a class. And so then I took classes and then I got arguably pretty good. You Mm. wouldn't know it to look at me now, but I was. And I even got to the point where I would teach. So I would do shows, like I'd perform it and I would also teach it. So you're performing shows of breakdancing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had like my own custom cardboard that I would bring around so cuz you can't really break dance on yeah. a gravel yeah street, right? Who arranged these shows? Who was organizing these? How did people know where to go? Where did you go? A lot of it to like see this. Actually a, a a whole giant portion of my life are these impromptu moments. Uh-huh. So when I w- went to my next career, <laughs> I did start to like actually do real bookings. But before that, it was like, if I was going to do a magic show, I would like yeah. create a poster and put it up in the neighborhood or hand it out to kids or whatever. Right. Or I'd tell other kids, go spread the word. Mm-hmm. I always got other kids working for me. <laughs> Good. You know? And uh, so the same thing with the breakdancing, but 
the other thing is that a lot of times once you do something and you put yourself out there, mm -hmm. then people come to you, mm -hmm. right? So people would come to me and say, hey, can you do a little performance for this school or can you do a performance for this event or whatever, mm -hmm. right? So, but that okay. was a very short period. That was my shortest <laughs> career of something was breakdancing. And how long was that? Like, what's short? I feel like short for me is not short for you. Yeah. Well, so if I, if I remember correctly, so I got the record in 84. And then I had kind of started to transition into something else by 86. Okay. But so there's, but there's always that overlap, right? Yeah. So there's a little bit of overlap and they tied together. Mm -hmm. So in 86, I got a copy of uh, the Beastie Boys License to Ill. Okay. And the track Paul Revere was the first track that that i heard mm -hmm. and i went i have to do this <laughs> i have to learn <laughs> i have to do this and that 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 journey led me to memorizing all of the beastie boys and then run dmc and then the fat boys and then public enemy and before you knew it i there was a point there was a there's a couple little interesting facts along the way here but there was a point where <laughs> i owned every single cassette that you could get that was a rap cassette mm -hmm. i owned every single one my allowance entirely went to that. I got a job so that I could get more cassettes. Holy. Yeah. So I went through like the Eric B and Rakim, the Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. I met them. Uh, actually met what? Run DMC and Jam what? Master J. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot here. I don't know where, to, where you really <laughs> want to go with it, but maybe I can think of just a few sort of surface worthy ones. Shall I? Yes, yes but I'm going to say we're yeah. not surface level people. Okay. <laughs> we're going deep. You dig. Okay. If you see a question along the way, just raise your hand <laughs> okay. or kick my ankle. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So the, the, the hip hop thing started. And I remember when I first did a, a track, I wrote this track about Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And it was kind of based on it, what if Spider-Man was Santa Claus? Like really bizarre. Right. Yeah. But I didn't know how to write. I didn't I didn't really know what to do. I just knew what I wanted it to kind of sound like. Yeah. And years later, I referenced back to that first song. I ended up doing a number of EPs and two full length albums. Really? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I ended up re referring back. But there was so many little neat stories along the way. And one of my favorites, though, was are you familiar with Maestro Fresh West? Let your backbone slide. No, sorry. That's okay. So he was the first Canadian hip hop artist to win a Juno. Oh. Like he he's the reason that there's a category for rap in the Juno okay. awards, right? I feel bad now. It's okay. <laughs> Go and study. It's okay. Uh and so he was at peak fame, you know, with the in, in about eighty nine, ninety with his track Let Your Backbone Slide. And he had another one, Drop the Needle. Both of them were just monster, monster hits in Canada and mm -hmm. you know, other parts of the world too, but mostly Canada. And so guys like me were like, this is, this is our king, right? This mm -hmm. is our country's king. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I was walking downtown one night. And uh, so this was obviously a little bit more into my uh, age because I, I would have, it would have had to be about 94. Okay. Because I had to be of age. And so I'm walking past one of the clubs mm -hmm. and the bouncer there, uh, it, or the, the guy that kind of ran it was a friend of mine. And I was walking past and I'm like, hey, Willie. And he goes, hey, aren't, aren't you coming in tonight? And I was like, no, why? And he goes, Mice is performing tonight. And I was like, what? He is? How did I not know? And he yeah. goes, yeah, come on in. So I go in. It's early, you know, early evening. So nobody's there. Nothing's really happening. I go and have a beer or whatever. And next thing I know, he's Willie's coming up to me and he goes, do you want to meet him? I'm like, who? And he goes, Maestro. I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so he goes, okay. So he takes me out front and, and there's Maestro Fresh West, like the guy, 
the the yeah. man, right? And he's sitting in the front of a of a getaway van, one of those, you know, tour van type things. Yeah. And he's eating Burger King. <laughs> and he's like, How you doing, brother? Like he's just a cool, cool guy, right? Yeah. And and I go, I'm great, man. It's so cool to meet you. He goes, Yeah, what do you do? And I said, Well, actually I'm a rapper. And he's like, Oh, right? Like everybody's a rapper. Yeah. And so he goes, Well, maybe later we'll get a chance to get you up on stage. And I said, oh, I would love that. And he's like, Yeah, okay. So anyway, I go in back into the club i go right to the front of the stage before there's even other bodies in there because yeah. i need to be front i need to be at the front right yeah. so i'm in the front row and a couple of other my other friends showed up and people that i did music and mm-hmm. whatever with mm-hmm. and one of them was this guy named golden child and he was kind of a an aspiring artist himself and i was near the front he was sticking around the back he didn't really want to be a you know at that level or whatever yeah and then at, it reached a point. Maestro kept like handing the, like holding the mic down so that we could do the words. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he goes, he looks at me and he's like, "Do you really want to do this?" Like he looked, like he said it right to me. And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "All right." And so he pulled me up on stage. Oh my god! Yeah, the this place, like I might be remembering it a little bit exaggerated, but I don't think so. Yeah. But it was absolutely packed. It was a <laughs> sea of people. It wasn't a stadium. It was a nightclub. Yeah, but it was packed. And I remember looking over that. At, over that audience and what i came to learn after the fact was because my friend golden child was in the audience he was able to see the people behind me including maestro and farley flex and the other guys on stage mm-hmm. and he goes maestro kind of stood back and crossed his arms and kind of looked at everybody and went let's let's watch this yeah. kid hurt himself yeah kind of thing right and not to toot my own horn but once i started the crowd erupted and golden child said Maestro's arms just dropped to his side and his jaw dropped open and he was like, what is happening right now? Like it was that crazy of a moment. Oh my God. And t- I was just doing, I was just doing what I enjoy doing, yeah. right? Not to downplay it. Obviously I had practiced, right? And mm-hmm. It was pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. And so then the, the crowd was, was just went crazy for it. It was like this, just this amazing moment to be able to say, I got to perform on stage mm-hmm. with the, the first Juno winner in Canadian hip hop history, right? And then I ended up after after getting off the stage, Maestro came to me immediately after the show and he goes, Let's hang out. No and so way. then I hung out the rest of the night with him. He gave me his manager's number. This is another story. I often get these opportunities and I don't take them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I never did pursue it. But uh, he was like, You've got what it takes. It's kind of cool. This is amazing. The song that you rapped, was it one of his or one no, of one yours? Of mine. One of my own. One of your own. And it still blew up. Oh, it was it was an eruption. I had another kind of interesting. I'll tell you the really quick version. <laughs> I went to DJ Soundwars Chapter Three, and so this would be in about ninety two ish, and it was at Thunderbird Stadium in UBC. So we had to drive like four hours just to get there, mm-hmm. and we get there, and I'm definitely odd man out. I'm yeah. the I'm the minority in this group, and I. And I knew I'd be performing. I was a scheduled performer. And if you have you ever heard of the Rascals, Canadian hip hop group, the Rascals? I have heard of it. Okay. Yeah. So one of the Rascals was one of the judges. Like there was, it was like this celebrity judge thing going on. Okay. And I, I remember going on stage and it was me and my singer for this particular song was this uh, wonderful Asian girl named Linda Lowe. Okay. And she was, st- and the whole thing was I had my back to the crowd, you know, in that kind of hip hop pose. And then yeah. she had her, her, she was facing the crowd. And again, it was an interesting situation. That's how we set it up. I didn't, didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I got on stage, it's, it's, you know, again, just to emphasize, I was the minority. Yeah. Okay. And so all these people are like just snickering and they can't mm-hmm. wait to see how terrible yeah. this thing is. Right. Yeah. 
and all of a sudden the beat starts. She starts singing. I haven't turned around yet. The Snickers is still going on. Right. Right. This according to her. She's like, Matthew, I felt so bad. <laughs> the Snickers are still going on. And then I turned around and I started and I saw the I saw the people yeah. jaw drop. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, like no even kidding. in the moment. And then I just did my best. And then when I went to go to get off stage, the crowd moved. Like the crowd came to meet me at the mm. exit oh of the God. stage. And it took me an hour just to walk back back to the entrance. How old are you at this point? So 92, I would have been 17. Wow. Yeah. So when your back is to the crowd and they're all snickering. Yeah. What and is I have going, a picture of that one. What is going on in your head? Nothing. You're not nervous? No, no, no. Oh, my God. I, I started performing sweating. at five, so I, I didn't really... I, I've never experienced nervousness. The odd time I will experience like a bit of a flutter, mm-hmm. like a little butterfly for a second, but mm-hmm. no. You just knew you were going to crush it. No, I didn't. You never know you're going to crush it. You I just, just you just didn't care. You were disconnected from the Yeah, I just was result. doing my, I was doing what I enjoy doing. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this yeah. is amazing. <laughs> Even like the so you're talking about this kind of like this confidence on stage maybe, but in general, like the confidence to pursue these things sure. blows my mind. Like what like oh, I see somebody doing something I want to do yeah. and and I need to do that or I'm going to do that yeah. or whatever. What yeah. does that confidence come from like what what is the energy there well i mean certainty i don't know (laughs) certainty is a great word i don't know where it actually comes from i i mean it's probably a little bit genetics probably a little bit dna Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of influence uh my mom was a performing musician recording artist Mm -hmm. she was actually her and my aunt were signed to Capitol records back in the 60s oh cool yeah and uh, they didn't really achieve like super fame, but they did similar things, you know, that, yeah. that would be comparable to what I did com- mm-hmm. when I came along. Uh, so my mom definitely, and she still performs to this day. She's 70 years old and she's, she performs all the time. So yeah. Cool. Wow. And, yeah. So music and performance was kind of from that side of the family. Mm-hmm. And then my dad is a very confident person. And so maybe it's just the influence mm-hmm. of those, mm-hmm. those things. Holy cow. So yeah. you're 17. Yeah. You're starting to blow up clubs. Yeah. Yeah, right. And you're about to graduate high school. Yeah. It's decision-making time. Yeah. Where was your head at that point? So that was the year that family trauma kicked in. Okay. Family fell apart, and I developed insomnia. Oh, no. And so I totally botched my grade 12 year, mm-hmm. and I never graduated. Oh wow. Yeah. Um but it was it was a it was a very influential shift in the timeline of my life. Mm-hmm. And forced me to kind of get out on my own. I was actually originally on my own for a while at 16, then I went back and then I was officially pretty much out on my own by 17. Gotcha. Yeah. Like you could kind of sense things were falling apart at 16, is that why you there was a lot of drama. Okay. And that drama led to things that took years to undo. Right. Right. I, it didn't stop me from pursuing every, you know, I always like to have at least six or 700 major pursuits on the go yeah, at any given time. Yeah, that's a good way time. to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's about right. Yeah. So what happened at that point was I realized I had to like be serious about mm-hmm. life. And so I thought, well, I'll get a, you know, I'll get a job. And then I tried to figure out what kind of job I want. I'd already been working, but... Not like career 
jobs. Yeah. You know, like paper route. And I was a dishwasher, like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And so I thought, well, I've done most of my, you know, paid job work in hospitality. So I'll probably pursue that. Okay. And so I went into that for a little while. It was just a disaster because they may as well have been, I, I, I'm at home using computers and they may as well have been teaching us on an abacus. Right. Right. And so I'm like, I, not no no offense to them or anything, but mm-hmm. I just felt like there was a better opportunity for me to not spend the time right. learning how to do things the old way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I like to be a bit of an innovator, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the rapping career continued. It continued. Actually, it continued until my very last show was March 2009, which was about two, two weeks after my son was born. Yeah, I opened for swollen members. Oh my god! Yeah, where? Uh, at Jimmy at J Bar, wow. used to be Jimmy's, Jimmy Dean's. Mm-hmm. Going back over the different J names that they had over the years, yeah. <laughs> uh, in in the Northeast. Wow! Yeah. And were you a swollen members fan? Huge! Yeah, yeah. They were the next big Canadian emerging yeah. artist to win all kinds of awards. Holy cow! Yeah. Years later, I have also since become. I don't want to say friends, but you know, if I see Mad Child in the street, he re- he'll recognize me and vice versa. Like we've we've got mutual friends. So did okay. So we skipped like twenty years just yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. In that time, you were focused primarily on rapping. Or no, I oh. was focused on hospitality. Oh. So I did jobs relating to hotel and tourism and management, that type of thing, and mm-hmm. just just kind of you know cut my teeth and on those in those areas. Yeah. And yeah, I just thought, well, this is what I have to do now. Like, this is it. And so I would still do the performing. Like, I, mm-hmm. I performed for years and years and years mm-hmm. in uh, in Kelowna. And then uh, a, a pursuit made me leave uh, Kelowna to go to Calgary. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I came to Calgary, that's when things really took a, a shift. So before the shift, <laughs> I'm curious, like, why not the focus on the rapping is like like this is my career this is my i'm going to be yeah a musician i did i did that mm-hmm. i tried uh-huh. i definitely i definitely tried so <laughs> i i performed in cuba with a, a seven-piece caliente oh, calypso so band amazing. type oh, thing wow. <laughs> and i was staying at a resort and it was an impromptu somebody caught wind and they said well you should come up and rap and so i did and the whole rest of the time i was there it was so weird the people that i was with is like how do you do that like mm, everyone just... thinks you're like this celebrity and i'm like mm. and they're always like hey rapper man yeah <laughs> it was kind of like, a neat thing but uh i did a i was in vegas one of the only two times i've ever been in vegas mm. i was on a, a street level i was at a street level bar mm-hmm. so it was like an outdoor bar uh with my then dj and he goes, we should do something right now. And I was like, sure. And so he just started beatboxing and I started rapping. And by the time it was done, we had a crowd of 50 people just on the streets of Vegas. Just watching. Yeah, it was cool. Holy, that's amazing. Yeah. If I start beatboxing, will you rap something? Maybe someday. But not now. I like to use LL Cool J's line and say, I need at least seven figures to get to touch that. (laughs) Okay, I'll start saving. One day we'll... (laughs) At case some point in this podcast, I'm going to just start beatboxing and okay. hope for the best. See what happens. Okay. So, but to answer your question, yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't come, quite come to fruition. So mm-hmm. another, another little story is when I was like, I think it was 92, uh, I had cut a demo tape 
that's what it was back back in the day. You would make a demo tape, mm-hmm. and I sent it to Sony, Arista, uh, BMG, Attic, like all the big record labels back in the day. Yeah, and I got rejection letters from all of them except for BMG. Um, and BMG, I'll, I will never forget because it wasn't it wasn't a traditional rejection letter like all the other ones kind of were. Um, it had some really good feedback. And, oh, and actually good. said, you know, if you do, here's what we, th- here's where we think you are, but here's where we think you could go. Like you got something right. Yeah. And remember, I'm recording this in my basement in a bathroom yeah. using a headphone as a microphone. Like right. you, know, you can switch the input. Yeah. So it obviously was not well enough produced. Mm. Right. Right. Um, but the person who wrote me that uh, rejection letter, well, her name was Zadia Lenders. Hmm. And so this was 92. And then when social media came around, one day her name just popped in my head because I remember the, mm. the name. And we've been friends uh, on social media ever since. Holy. Yeah. I, I sent her a picture of it. I still have it, mm-hmm. the actual letter. But why I didn't really pursue it. So in 2000-ish I, was when I released my first album, Spyography. My name was MC Spy. And Spyography was this really sort of like my first album, right? So it was mm. like when you... It's different when you create a song versus when you put together a whole cohesive project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was really well received. I ended up doing, I'd go to karaoke places mm-hmm. and they would let me do my own thing instead of following the karaoke. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I went with my dad. Should I just keep going? Yes. Okay. Please. One time I went with my dad to, uh, <laughs> we didn't know it, but it was this place in Edmonton, like in on White Ave, like not a good place to be. So it was I, I don't mean to say that disparagingly but you know like you maybe have a little bit of caution right yeah. and so we go into this place and we realize immediately that it's karaoke night but it's a biker country bar oh my gosh and so my my dad goes you sure you want to rap here and i was like yeah i'll do it and he's like okay so then i go up to the the karaoke the guy running the karaoke and i go hey is it cool if i just do my own thing and he goes what are you talking about like what are you gonna do right and everybody in there was like attitude right yeah he goes what are you talking about what are you gonna do and i said well i'd like to rap and he goes i don't think this is the <laughs> audience for that and i go ah, that's okay if if it turns out not to be that's lesson learned and he's like all right and he goes what do you want and i said do you have happen to have because you know how karaoke guys have all the uh, all instrumentals mm-hmm. so i said do you have uh Bust a Move by mm-hmm. Young MC. Yeah. That's a great beat, right? Yeah. And he goes, yeah, of course we do. So uh, I said, well, why don't you just play that and we'll just give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And so he announced it, though. Oh, which was, no. Yeah, he goes, we got this guy. He's going to do a rap for you. And everybody's like, get off the stage. <laughs> right? Like, nobody's interested. Yeah. And uh, he's like, ah, come on, guys. Let's, get, let's give him a chance. Let's mm-hmm. just see. Right? And so then, as you could probably guess, by the time it was done, they're like, do another one. Yeah, yeah it was cool. Um, I think I think I even ended up dropping drinks in front of us right after that my dad doesn't drink but yeah yeah it was a neat moment oh my god yeah i keep sort of diverging off the topic the point is that (laughs) there was all of these like points of light that seemed to indicate that Uh that there's something here worth pursuing and i'm maybe if i had it would have Mm -hmm. like you know you got to put your you got to earn your stripes right Mm -hmm. um which I have a lyric about, actually. If, you, if I can get a little beatbox here. I'll... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I, do, I do. Oh, I do. Though. I do. Me jitters. I do though. Don't tease me. All right. Maybe later. <laughs> so it just got to a point where when do you like when do you give up, right? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I learned along the way in my mindset journey, which I really I want to talk about mindset. Okay, mm-hmm. me too. Um, in my mindset journey was this idea of being three feet from gold. You you may have heard the story. Think and Grow Rich is famous for 
producing it. And it's this idea that this guy bought this mine, he bought the equipment, he started yeah. digging in the mine, he kept digging and digging and digging, no, like so sure that he was going to find gold, mm-hmm. and then he didn't find it. And then he sold all of his equipment for pennies on the dollar, and the guy that he sold it to went in, and three feet later, he found one of the biggest gold it. mines of history Mm -hmm. right yeah and so when do you give up is a question right yeah you don't want to give up when you're three feet from gold yeah but how do you know i i think looking back on it now knowing what my what has happened in my life and Mm -hmm. where i'm at now that i'm grateful that it didn't Mm -hmm. so that's what it really feels like it was right Right. i have this phrase that i say all the time i'll probably say it 36 more times before we're done recording okay I believe that everything happens for a reason. It's usually a good one, and I can't wait to see what it is. Hmm. And so it's it's a really neat North Star for me to go, oh, that's why mm-hmm. that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I love that. It, I think it's it's a very interesting side of being a dreamer because it's a scene you, you're a self-described dreamer, yep. which is clearly from what we've discussed so far as well. Yep. There's, another, there's a side of being a dreamer where it's like, which dream do you chase? And when do you stop chasing a dream? Exactly. Because there's so many dreams to be had. So many things I still want to do. I, I guess maybe another thing that I'm grateful that I have is the ability to resign myself to something. Once you make a decision, and I don't just mean like a decision, like nah, maybe I'll, that's not a decision. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to stop now. Mm-hmm. Right. And once you make that decision, there's a power in that. Mm-hmm. And it can inform what you're going to do next and how how you're going to approach what you do next. It's cool to hear you say I'm grateful for all of that. Like of some course. people would have regret or no, 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 no. It's, you've obviously done a lot of mindset work and studied a lot. Did yeah. that come pretty quick after all this rapping or is there it was during. Okay. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Huh. So earlier I mentioned the thing about ego. Yeah. And so this isn't everybody's flavor cup of tea, but it, it helps it. You know, I like this idea that we give things labels or symbols or definitions so that we can talk about them, Mm. right? And so I really like the idea of how you can tell a lot about a person by their star sign, right? Okay. I'm not like into that per Mm -hmm. se, but there are certainly things that it's like, wow, you really can't deny that this is like a fact, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the things that comes, let's put it this way. So I'm an Aries and like when you read the horoscopes, it's my birthday is always the very first one. So I like to say I'm a day one Aries, right? <laughs> yeah. And I know that's ego, but it's just <laughs> love it. Right? And it's, you know, truth be told, it's because the original calendar started on my birthday. I don't want to go that yeah. far back. But when Magnificent yeah. Matt was born. That's right. Yes. And so there's this idea. Okay. So I'll, I'll tell you the best way I ever heard it was a divorce lawyer <laughs> did an advertisement and it said, accidentally marry an Aries? Yeah. <laughs> call 1-800-whatever-the-phone-number call was. And it's, it's oddly true. You, you'll, you'll either like us or you'll find us to be like way too full of ourselves or way mm-hmm. too overconfident or egotistical, yeah. arrogant, all that stuff, right? And it's true. Like there is an innate piece of you that is like, well, whatever you want me to do, I can do it, mm-hmm. right? But is that confidence or is it arrogance? And it's this really interesting dichotomy that comes up a lot. So when I was a young, you know, young teen, my dad invited me out for coffee, which was very normal. We went for coffee all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I go meet him at this place for coffee and we sit down and he goes, uh, he goes, I need to talk to you. And I said, yeah, sure. Whatever you want and whatever you want to talk about. And he goes, 
you know you're an asshole, right? And I was like, ah, that's funny. Take a sip of my coffee. And he's like, I'm actually serious. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> are you actually serious? Because my dad's a super joker. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm actually serious. And I go, okay, where's this coming from? Mm-hmm. And he goes, you have this grand potential capability of humans. And you're, you get so focused on being the man or being this cool guy or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, and your, your attitude is showing. Right. Interesting. And, yeah. And it's and he goes and it's really hard to stomach sometimes mm-hmm. to watch you be like I would be sarc- I didn't re- I hadn't really mastered the art of being sarcastic that doesn't hurt people mm-hmm. yet. You know yep. how young kids go through that. Yep. Uh, so it was all a really big lesson. And I immediately said, you're right. And what can I do? And he said, I'm glad you asked. Wow. And he immediately took me to the Carlson Learning Academy course called adventures and attitudes Hmm. and i still have that binder because that was another watershed in my life Mm -hmm. and i like to go back and look and see okay making this decision here changed how i was for the rest of my life wow it's was powerful it was really powerful the kind of course that when you're done you you cry like it's Mm -hmm. cathartic and changing and so i went through that course and that kind of started it and then when i was just finishing that he gave me the book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. Mm-hmm. And it was, I'm like, this, this, is, this is my life now. Mm. This, is, this has to be threaded through my life. Wow. And so over the time, you've seen my bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Over time, it was all things like that. Mindset, positivity, you know, be a force of good, right? And then there was the 2005 thing. <laughs> what was the 2005 thing, Matthew? In 2005, <laughs> I I had just landed in Vancouver. So I there's a little piece of this that I have to paraphrase ever so slightly. So I don't want to don't want it to come across like I remember it this exactly precisely. Okay. In 2005, I landed at the airport in Richmond and my aunt lived in Richmond. She came picked me up from the airport. Mm-hmm. And we start driving back to her place. Not really a far drive even, but there is a pretty major highway between the airport and her place. Yep. And we're driving along the highway and all of a sudden something happened. And the second that it happened, I said, Rhonda, pull over. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, just please pull over. And so she pulled over and she's of course like panicked, right? Like why did her nephew tell her to pull over? Right. Yeah. And so, and I just sat there for a minute and I was like marveling and just filled with this unbelievable sense of wonder and joy because what had happened just at that second that before I'd asked her to pull over, I can only sort of describe what it felt like. Okay. And it was almost like the top of my head lifted open like a lid. Yeah. And then there was like this beam, like a beam of just like light information shot into me like in a, in a blink. It's not like it was like this stream of light yeah. forever. It was just like done. And then in that instant, I truly, like I, I say this with all sincerity, I went from not having a clue to completely understanding love. And it was, it was the most amazing thing I could have ever asked to have happen to me because it changed everything from that point forward. Again, so many of my things change everything, but that one, <laughs> that one really changed everything. 
and I understood it. And so, you know, once I had sort of digested it for a second, she said, what's wrong? And I turned to her and I said, I get it now. And she goes, what do you get? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> what did right? you smoke? Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm like, I understand love. And she goes, yeah, so do I. And I'm like, no, I, I don't know if you do, but we'll talk about it. And so we spent the rest, well, we spent the last 20 almost years talking about it, her and I, among thousands of other people. Holy cow. Yeah. Is to see, like, not to see. It's like, do you really understand? It's not like that. Yeah. Right. I'm not going around <laughs> test, testing you people. Love. Yeah. You don't know love. Yeah. You don't know yeah. love. You will yeah. never know. <laughs> so in that moment, it sparked this idea that I, I knew that my calling in life would be something to do with love. I used to say, because I hadn't really thought it through, I, but I used, I used to say, I want to, I want to, when I retire, I want to spend the rest of my life teaching love. Okay. But I corrected myself along the way because I now understand fully, you can't actually teach love, mm. uh, but you can certainly experience love. You can show love, you can spread love, and you can come to a really deep understanding of love. And I've also come to learn that there are many different kinds of love, mm. right? Um, but the love that I'm talking about is like that, you know, the the mother love, like the love of all loves, the love that supersedes all these little mini versions of love. Mm -hmm. And once <laughs> you know that and that, and, and you can look at everything through the love lens, it's wicked what changes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. You know, like I can lose my shit just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I have, you know, dry moments or sad moments or whatever, but I can really quickly almost always take myself back into the center just by like, okay, what is, what does love say? Holy. Weird, eh? Not weird. Yeah. I want to hear like your definition of love. If you could do it in less than half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have 20 years, unfortunately, but the best definition is the, is the one that I heard. I asked one of my brothers, my closest uh, people in my life one day in the coolest environment. Uh, what is love? And because I really wanted to know, I, I asked him just like you're asking me, I really wanted to know what would he say yeah. is the answer. He said that love is the cosmic glue that binds us. And I, it sounds weird, right? Like you're like, okay, let me think about that for about three years, try to figure it out. <laughs> but if you think of the cosmic glue being uh, like consciousness, hmm. love, that's where love is, right? Because you can't like go, I got to go to the store and buy a box of love. You can't do that. It's, mm -hmm. It just is. Mm. And so if it just is, then it just is. There's love in this room right now, mm -hmm. right? And there's a slightly different attenuation of love between us than there is between us, right? right. Yeah. And my coffee. Like, mm -hmm. it gets the most. Yeah. We'll get to that, I hope. So is it an energy? Interesting dichotomy. I love that question because some people say love is energy. Mm -hmm. Love is God. Mm -hmm. God is love. Yeah. God is energy. And these three things are are interchangeable, yeah. right? And so it's like that old, you know, Mensa test question where uh, <laughs> if this is this, then is this this? Yeah. And you have to be like, well, yeah, but we're using linguistics to define it. Mm -hmm. And Ooh. I think, yeah. So there is a bit of a, there's a bit of a break in there that can happen if you remove linguistics from the equation. Interesting. Yeah. It's like stop putting words to it. Yeah. But it's like a, I said earlier, we need a labels to define of, yeah, things. Yeah, we need to yeah. talk about it. That, but it's almost like that's also I was hesitant to ask anything about it because I the the kind of experience that you're describing, yeah. which 
it's just your attempt to put words to an experience yeah. it already sounds like indescribable so it was how do you then talk about it but like you have to talk about yeah. it somehow mm -hmm. because otherwise how how do you communicate love maybe that's the question exactly and i love that you said how do you communicate love because on my notes i really wanted to share one story so when my kids were little when when they could first start to talk it was really important to me that they learn what i you know took 30 years or 35 years at that point to learn mm -hmm. which is that i believed at that time that there was two things and i still too many in many ways, I do agree. I still agree that it's true that there are two things that matter and anything else is optional. And the two things that matter are love and communication. Hmm. And so in teaching this to my kids, I would, you know, they're little, little, can hardly talk, right? And so I, my son's name is Chase. And I would go, Chase, what are the two most important things? Number one, and then you'd go, love. I go, that's right. And number two, it's a big word for <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. I go, number two, and he goes, I don't know, daddy. And I go, then he goes, Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> and I said, that's right. <laughs> Love and Commissioner Gordon. Because without Commissioner Gordon, how would Batman know when exactly. to help people, yeah. right? <laughs> and then when really my daughter was about at the same age, her name's Callie, I would do the same thing. And she, and she also couldn't pronounce love. She said love. So I say, what are two most important things? Number one. And she would go, love. And I go, that's very good. Number two, I don't know, daddy. And then mm. she go, I go, come. And she'd go, chameleon <laughs> so depending who you ask the two most important things are either love and commissioner gordon love and chameleon or love and communication now the reason that i say that it, it that and i stuck with that for a very very long time and i still believe that it's true i believe that you could be sustained life for you could be sustained with those two things because those two things inform everything else mm -hmm. right but then i had this other huge I, I don't want to call it an epiphany but like an, an awakening maybe okay uh through uh, i had to go through some do some therapy because i was trying to figure out like why are, why do all my relationships you know with women bomb yeah you know uh and so I, I i took therapy to figure out like what the hell's wrong with me yeah and i had this great moment arise from that which is this understanding that uh, there are these all these different building blocks and pursuits of life like we pursue love we pursue communication we pursue happiness serenity joy like all of those things and the, and those are great mm -hmm. uh but there is something that's actually above all of that which is awareness mm -hmm. without awareness you can't know love or communication mm -hmm. you have to know that those things even are yeah in order to know what they are or that they are yeah right to a degree. I mean, there's certain things you could probably feel as a baby without awareness mm -hmm. and feel loved, right? Mm -hmm. And and a baby can communicate also just by like, well, even Toby can communicate. Yeah. Rough. Oh, that mm -hmm. means he wants to go downstairs, mm -hmm. right? In the world of indescribable things, yeah. if you were going to try to describe love before your epiphany and love after, because yeah. you knew love before, sure, but you didn't know love like this. No. <laughs> What is like the difference? So the love before is like if you ask, especially young people uh, that haven't really fully formed their concepts and constructs for their, mm -hmm. to inform their life. Uh, we associate love with like, who are the people I hug? Who are the people mm -hmm. I kiss? Who are the mm -hmm. people I have intimacy with? Mm -hmm. Right. And that seems to be the overarching, the main, the number one, the most common thing that informs love for right. most people. And then there's familial love, which is your parents and your siblings and the cousin that visits all the time, yeah. right? Uh, 
but it doesn't really go much deeper than that too often. And the only other, like, the only other thing is that they have exposure. We, we all have exposure to songs about love, like John mm-hmm. Lennon, All You Need Is Love, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's weird how different that song sounds to me now because he was obviously like up here. Yeah. Maybe he was up there for other reasons, but yeah, either way he got there. However you get there, just get yeah. there. And when he said, all you need is love. I'm like, that is, that's actually, he's dead on. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Okay. What was love before? Just like textbook definition. And now. Indescribable. The cosmic, the glue. cosmic glue that binds us. And it guides you in most of your, or all of your, all. endeavors your decision making all even when it comes to uh business things that i do every single project i do requires that, that there be an intention set and that to me is putting love into the equation right so you can start a business or have a business idea and try to do something with it but if you don't really have a plan it's not going to work and if you do have a plan it might work but if you don't know very structured what why you're doing it then it won't it won't work i've seen it i've seen it so many times that it just doesn't work unless you have a love based intention for what it is that you're trying to pursue yeah i for anyone out there who's kind of questioning this i can speak from my experience sure. because we reached out to you in need of s- some help we mm-hmm. needed help from somebody who knew what they were doing yeah specific to the marketing industry but little did we know the person that we would be meeting and we we kind of narrowed it down to two projects we're going to go ahead with. Yeah. And Matt said, before we do anything, you have to write an intention. And like you had a template for the intention. Yeah. And it was, yeah, so he's very much legitimate. He's the real deal. Like is, And you can feel the love. I don't mm-hmm, know if, mm-hmm. Angela, you can I attest to that. <laughs> but just like speaking about the projects even. Sure you can feel the love that you put into it and it's yeah it's very front and center so yeah and that's what attracted us to you i think it's a beautiful thing isn't it Mm. see that's what love is cosmic glue Mm. it creates it it forms that bind in between us that made that attraction happen right (laughs) but it has to be real that's the other thing too like yeah you certainly see a lot of things out there nowadays where they're using the love movement for lack of a better word uh to create things that aren't that's not that's they're not, that's not real yeah you know i feel there's two sides in my experience thinking about this is like one is changing how you think mm-hmm. and the other is changing how you communicate yes and in, in your experience how was the split of that because changing how you think changing how you communicate feels like more of a exercise awareness understanding how you come across maybe you come across in a way that you don't intend or yeah. you don't mean and improving that seems like um kind of a surface thing it's a hard and an important thing but it's kind of a surface thing but changing how you think there's a side of it that it's like maybe are you changing who you are are you not an aries anymore yeah uh because you're changing how you think how have you approached that experience that it's beautiful uh my ex-wife who i love uh she we're we we went from being besties to married having kids wonderful life back to just being besties and it's great i love Mm it um and she told me once along the way she goes you know there's uh, there's two types of Aries. There's the unawares that doesn't even really know that they are an Aries. And they are doing nothing to try to better themselves and sort of distance themselves from being Aries-like. And then she goes, and then there's 
a Wary's, which is, <laughs> she's like, which you are. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And she goes, yeah. So basically it means you're an asshole, but you know that you're an asshole. Yeah. Right. When, she, when you say thank you, she says, just wait, I'm not done. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. She has one of the best sense of the humor. Great. But it, so to your point, is there a part of you that, that dies? Yeah. I would, I would love if ego could completely die in me. But leave a little bit because you know what? I really believe that there is a place in this world for leaders mm-hmm. and that there is a, we, we need them, right? Mm-hmm. I, even I might be a leader, but I still need leaders, mm-hmm. you know, and we need confidence, mm-hmm. right? Imagine if Sparta was led by a bunch of guys that are like, I don't, I don't know if <laughs> no, I really want to do this. <laughs> it might hurt a little yeah. bit, right? <laughs> they got to go in there and be like, yeah. and just do it <laughs> yeah. you know and you gotta they have to have that level and mm-hmm. and we look we look at them and we don't go oh man that guy's he's arrogant yeah what a dick look how confident he is about not dying at in battle <laughs> right <laughs> what does he think he is yeah a good point <laughs> so yeah and and so then what happens though is i, I learned this from this beautiful mutual associate that we have uh, is that people c- will flip into, they'll flip into ego, mm-hmm. right? And so there is this, there is this line that you have to be careful not to cross. And you see it, you know, with like preachers that they start out, you know, grassroots and in the back of the mm-hmm. bogs of Southern Mississippi. And the next yeah. thing you know, they're like, I need another $35 million jet <laughs> if I'm going to be able to do the Lord's work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, to me, something might have, you know, yeah. went a little bit haywire along the way there. <laughs> so and that's again those are but those are leaders and in a lot of ways even though they have that that ego or they have that you know the the dark side in so many ways they still do some good things Mm -hmm. they still do some they're in they change people's lives they keep them on the right track yeah they take people's life savings (laughs) (laughs) well like i always say life savings schmife savings am i right (laughs) but they they do cause at least some good to happen in the world. I, I wish that it wasn't that way. Yeah. Like it's find the healthy line and stay there mm-hmm. is kind of. There's almost like a huge responsibility to it when you have that power to influence people. Absolutely. It's like to influence for the positive. Exactly. And what does that mean? And who gets to judge that? Yeah. But... And how, how happy about yourself are you? Yeah. You have a, you have an obsession and a love, which we know is a powerful word now with for coffee. The love that we can't compete with. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it has led to something called the Daily Sip of Joy. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, things were dicey. All we had to do was survive 15 days and then we're good. Yeah. <laughs> so about 400 days into the 15 days, I had organized <laughs> my whole life, right? Like I had put my marble collection in color order. Like it was, I was so organized. <laughs> uh that my so i in during the pandemic is when my wife and i separated and ultimately got a divorce and so we moved from Kelowna to calgary Mm -hmm. and we got a house where we could we had two separate rentals in the same house and it was cool because we could then have the kids be able to still Mm. sort of have a family unit ish type thing for a transitional period i'm so grateful for that like beyond grateful that that happened and that her and i are still so uh, good, so close yeah. that we can do that, right? Mm-hmm. And so it worked out great. Anyway, at one point, 
and she really knows me. I mean, you, you're not going to be married to someone for 14 mm. years or 12 years, however long we were married. <laughs> I, think we were, I think it was actually 13, but uh, I guess it was 11 years. Interesting. But we, so I was so organized and uh, she came actually, and my office, which she also works for me. And one of my, uh, so she would come, came to my office one day and she, go, she comes right up to me and she goes, look, she goes, I know that you're, everything's good. Your, your life is good. Everything's organized. And you're, you're doing great with the kids and you and I are moving along just great through transitioning, you know, but you're in a rut. I was mm. like, I'm, you don't <laughs> tell an, you don't tell an Aries that they're in a rut. <laughs> yeah. Like I will tell you if I, no. I said, I'm in a rut. What do you mean? And she goes, I know that you can't see it because you're you. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I, I should tell you that you are. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, let's say that I am in a rut. Mm. What should I do? And she goes, you should get in the car and go and just see where you go and go away for a week, right? Mm-hmm. And go to BC, go see your friends, go see your mom, whatever, just mm-hmm. go. And so I said, all right, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do the yes man thing and just say, okay, I'll go for it. Yeah. And so I got in my car and I left, fast forward, it ended up being 18 days. Over those 18 days, I ended up having coffee with 50 people. Every single time I would take a selfie and after I would post the selfie with the story of why that person matters to me. Huh. During that process, I had strangers reach out to me and say, could I have coffee with you? I had someone reach out to me and say, this reminds me of something called, I never did look it up, but I'm, I'm assuming it's something similar, but she said it reminds me of something called Humans of New York. Okay, yeah. Um, and again, a random stranger. And then I also had old friends that I hadn't seen in 25 years be like, hey, uh, would love to see you and have a coffee. So it just created this kind of thing. But what really emerged through that for me was that I could see that through the course of the pandemic, uh, people that I knew to be, let's say, at a nine or 10, you know, on the comfortability scale, were down at like a seven, six, five, starting to experience anxiety that mm-hmm. they had never had before, depression. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could see it. Yeah. Right. We all could. Right. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not special to be able to see it. But but that, but seeing it got me sort of feeling motivated. So when I came back, I decided I'm going to keep in touch with all these people, especially mm-hmm. the, the ones that need mm-hmm. uh, sort of a daily, hey, everything's going to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. And so I started to do this series of good morning messages. Mm-hmm. And I would send them to initially a small group. And then over time, people, some of them were like, hey, could you also send this to my other friend? Or could you send this to, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, it, and it grew. And then it reached a point where... I was, I believe I was sending about 43 messages every morning, right? It was time consuming. Oh, kidding. Yeah. Um, and so then I thought, well, what can I do to be a little bit maybe more efficient? And so I decided that I'm going to start to do a little video. So I started to do these little videos saying good morning. And I would just do some funny thing with coffee and just something to just give them a, a little dose of joy. I used to call it a dose. And then they, one person said you should post them on TikTok. And somebody else said you should post them on Instagram. Now, fast forward two years later. 4 million views later, thousands of followers. I don't care about that, but I, I love that this little weird thing that I never... So am I in a rut anymore? I don't think so, <laughs> right? I got this really neat little thing that branched off from it. And uh, in, in, in two cases, people actually reached out to me to say, this sounds, this sounds crazy, but I'll just tell you one story, but there were two. But the, ones, the one guy goes, I came into work this morning and I was... I didn't know if I was going to leave this building today. Right. And he goes, I was at that point. 
And he goes, and then I sat down at my computer and I was just going to aimlessly scroll social media. And then I saw you in that fucking Superman costume. (laughs) (laughs) And this was, it was, this was two days later. And he goes, changed everything. And I got a, I got a deal that sort of put me back on track. And there was a few things that just became good things. And I still talk to him all the time. And he was someone I already knew. And, uh, yeah, he's just been like on this beautiful thing. I'm not saying that it has to do with me, but he attributed it to mm-hmm. a particular thing that I just randomly posted one day. Yeah. You it's know? amazing what what effect you don't know you're about to have. Yeah. We talk about that a couple of times like with the podcast it's easy to get obsessed with the numbers and yeah. like are people even out there listening? Yeah. And then one person reaches out to you and says something powerful like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, it makes right? Makes it all worth it. Makes it, it worth it. I don't necessarily do them every single day anymore, mm-hmm. but pretty consistent, like like for sure each, you know, every four days at least. And it's evolved too. So it went from originally it was just me and my coffee, you know, talking to the camera to almost all of them lately have had a guest appearance. Yeah. Like there's people and I encounter people like of all ages. I did one last week with uh, a 80 year old businessman and a, I'm guessing about 70, 75 year old lawyer. Mm-hmm. And they're like, can we, can we make a coffee video? <laughs> I'm like, sure. That was the bad joke one. The yes. Yeah. This coffee that. tastes like mud. Yeah. Well, it should. Why? Fresh ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. Throughout all this, there's also another big change in your life. And I'm speaking about like the development of Maxogram mm-hmm. and how the hell did you get from where you were in rapping and the music mm-hmm. industry? Yeah into marketing and and developing this crazy product when i started to think more seriously about my career uh, i decided in 96 that if i was going to choose to do something that i really wanted to do instead of just going the default with hospitality it was going to be graphic design so i went out of my way and i bought my own first computer and september 12th 1996 i'll never forget the day uh, i not only designed my first logo but had it approved and it became uh, like an icon of the city of Kelowna for 20 years after. Wow. Very first one I ever did, which is sounds yeah. braggadocious, but it's kind of cool, right? <laughs> um, Good word. Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> and then it just grew from there. And I realized, you know, I, I, I didn't know anything about design. It's a miracle that they chose it for this job, for this project. Uh, but then I learned more about design. And then I learned about the psychology of design. Mm-hmm. And then I learned a little bit about putting those designs into web pages and putting them into print and putting them into next thing I knew I was working full time doing all these marketing related things, but I didn't really understand. I didn't really know that I was doing marketing. Right. And then I sort of had like, again, I don't want to use epiphany. We'll call this one uh, (laughs) a brain jarring moment (laughs) where I realized that what I was actually doing was marketing. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing wrong? And that's when I, learned what is marketing and marketing Mm -hmm. is really about influence and it's Mm -hmm. about telling a really great story and ultimately giving people a form of happiness Mm -hmm. right you know Mm -hmm. if you buy this pair of 900 dollar shoes you will be happy right right and so along that way uh i came across this early days smartphones example and i could see that smartphones actually were smart they weren't just like mini computers mm-hmm. they could actually be smart and they could so you could use the the phone to see something and have that have something happen because it saw something right, right? yeah and so i was like 
wow, imagine if you could do that with like an advertisement in a magazine. And I always thought about this thing about like a Jaguar. Like what if you could look at a Jaguar, a picture of a Jaguar car in a magazine. And then when you look at it through your phone, the car, like you hear like, like the growl of an actual mm-hmm. Jaguar cat. And then you hear the, the car, it revs up and then it drives off the page. I'm like, now that would be an advertisement, right? Yeah. And so then I thought, I guess I'll have to kind of invent that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started to learn all this stuff. That, that was in October of 2012. And by uh, November of 2016, I had a fleshed out concept. And by December of 2016, I had a founder's team. And by pretty much spring of 2017, we had a first draft concept out there. Uh, and it was under a bad name. It was under the, a different name than Maxagram. Mm-hmm. And people weren't getting it. They, weren't, they were saying the name wrong. And I'm like, what kind of marketer am I if people can't even pronounce my name right? <laughs> and so then I quickly, quickly spent 30 days analyzing prefixes and suffixes and mm-hmm. words that could be combined until I found the perfect name that I could also get the .com and the username. And there's a million stories in there. I won't go into any of them. Uh, but I got to the point where we had this really great brand and a really great product. And then we went out to seek investment. Maybe I'll just tell this one story. Okay. It, tells, it really informs to the what it is that we're doing. And it's this idea that when I first started and they said, you're going to be a privately held company and so you're going to have shareholders. Mm. And so one thing you need to know is when you need to bring on shareholders, you're going to need to talk to a lot of people. So if you need 10 shareholders each to come in with, say, $10,000, Make sure you have 100 people to talk to. And in my marketing mind, I I live by 10%. It's always 10%. If you get a video with 100 views, I can tell you that you probably have 10 likes, right? Like that's how accurate it is. And you probably have one comment, right? It degrades by 10% of each thing as how, depending how difficult it is. So the 10% thing informs so much of what I do. And then, so they said, if you you need, you know, 10 investors, make sure you talk to 100 people. So I'm like, okay. So we ultimately talked to 25 people and of those 25, 23 invested. Oh, wow. And the two that didn't both called me twice after the fact, like both of them actually called me twice after the fact, just to be really sure that you understand that it's not that I don't want to invest. Yeah. It's my circumstances have changed. So that to me, and the other thing is that every single member of my family invested. Huh. So we got something pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. It's another example of like you've shown this a couple times today What's where that? you like you something strikes you an idea magician rapping yeah. break dancing and you just obsess about it almost can i say that like is that a true statement absolutely until you're amazing at it your words yeah, <laughs> i'll take it i'll wear it like a badge of honor that's very mm-hmm. cool i would like i obsess over things like when i'm laying in bed or watching a tv show and then i forget about it oh i don't do anything about it yeah a great idea that's an awesome idea tomorrow we'll do yeah. something about it like that was five years 2012 to 2017 you spent five years working on this yeah before you had really anything cool yeah. to show yeah but you knew the whole time that it was going to be like you knew what it was going to be i didn't fully envision where it could go i saw it in a very small amount of use cases and uh I didn't realize that we could all like it's it's a night and day different from what I first conceived of right. that Jaguar ad. Yeah. The the concept went from that idea to now it still does that, but it's also interactive and there's 63 different points of interactivity with another 33 I think to come, 32 of interactive things that you can do. Right. Once you're there. So I I think of it like this. If you've ever seen like a an ad on television, 
not that anybody even watches TV anymore, but if you've ever seen an ad and you're like, oh, that's a really cool uh, vacation, we should go on that, yeah. right? And wouldn't it be great if you could just walk up to your TV and just kind of touch it? And it, mm-hmm. But you got to remember what website they showed you. You mm-hmm. got to remember it because mm-hmm. the ad is over. Or what was that one hour number? Did you catch it? No? Okay, mm-hmm. well, we're not going to do it. What Maxigram kind of does is makes that possible. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not that way, but it makes it that mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. where you're not. And the other thing, too, from a marketing standpoint, and this is what to me makes it so special, is you are often restricted to whatever it is that you choose to be your call to action. So your call to action is sometimes going to be mm-hmm. call now. Sometimes it's going to be enter to win. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's going to be visit us online, right? Like mm-hmm. it's one, it's any one of those things with Maxigram. It can be all of them. Right. That's amazing. Like that's, that's a cool. super, uh, I love how passionate you are about it. I oh guess. my gosh. That's, that's Me the too. Thing that's the yeah. Most stand out. How, do, how does love come into it? So great question. So when we had that meeting, November the 11th, we flew two of the people in that were, uh, original co- co-founders flew them in from Edmonton to uh, Cal- uh, Kelowna and we had a meeting in my very makeshift office and we discussed who what each role we were each going to play what we were each going to do are we going to come to this agreement are we going to do it and the very last thing I said was the only thing that that must be is we are going to build this company on a foundation of love and we're never going to shy away from that. And in fact, we're going to let love inform who gets involved with us and who gets to invest with us. It's crazy to say, this is absolutely crazy that I'm going to say this out loud, but because of certain elements, you know, everyone who wants to invest, I have to meet them. I have to know them. I have to, you know, vet them. And I always said they have to meet my I have to feel like they're truly in it for love, right? Mm-hmm. Because I always said, you know, they always say that the common wisdom is you don't just want money, you want smart money, mm-hmm. right? Meaning you want somebody who knows what they're doing and knows how to help move you forward. Yeah. And I said, okay, great. We're going to do that. And we're also going to only want heart money. Mm-hmm. So we're only going to want people that are involved that really share our belief that it you can build a company on a foundation of love. Mm-hmm. And so... That informed so many things. So there was, in total, I stopped keeping track, but in total, at the time that I stopped, we had turned away, at that point, over $14 million in potential investment because the love was missing from the equation. Holy. Yeah. We haven't talked a lot about money. No. At all today. Has it ever, like, what's your relationship with money? And it seems to be a decently healthy one because, for me, turning down $14 million... Like I could find a way to see love, a little bit of <laughs> yeah, love yeah. in somebody. For that, for that money. Yeah, there's at least a million dollars of that comes from love. Yeah. So I'll use it. Sure. Well, let's say that you thought that way. Okay. And then next thing you know, you're being courted by this very uh, rich guy who has verifiable, very successful companies. Mm-hmm. He flies you out to Whistler, whatever the really fancy one is has you picked up by limo mm-hmm. at the airport with the guy holding the sign, doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And then you're really like, I did this and all the signs and symbols were there. The money was there. There was outside verification that it was there. And I had, and I always started, I always have a contract, always have a, like a proper structure when it comes to this, because it's not just me, it's my mm-hmm. shareholders too. Yeah. Right. And so we had a hundred day, period where the deal either comes together or it does not. Right. And so the deal was he was uh, coming in for several million dollars 
I'm going to I'm going to manipulate the numbers and Kay. information just a little bit here but intentionally just to not reveal much. Yeah. Uh so but but it really it was over a million for sure. And he was going to come in for that and I and everything looked right, smelled right, tasted right, mm-hmm. felt right, every single thing except this. Mm-hmm. You're good. And I was like, "What is it? There's just something not right." Mhm. And everyone else is like, man, you are crazy if you collapse this deal. Like, this is su- this is it. This is what people do. This yeah. is what they dream of. Yeah. And I go, oh, it's just something. And so I used this technique called cornering, and I wrote a cornering email to them. And basically, and, and in this case, I also buried a question, right? So yeah. it's like there's this blah, 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 one, two, three, these ones... I don't care what their answer is, but mm. there's one question I do care what the answer is. And lo and behold, of the 10 questions or whatever it was, the only one they didn't answer was the one I wanted the answer to. And so I replied and I said, hey, this is great. Thank you so much. You know, I appreciate all that extra information. Uh, but I noticed that you missed this one question. And their reply to me was, instead of answering the question was, we strongly suggest you get on that plane tomorrow. Huh. And, right. I, and that was a private jet. Yeah. I like, cool. Like, I wanted to do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And he said, I strongly suggest you get, we strongly suggest you get on that plane tomorrow. And I replied and I said, thank you so much. But I, I feel that we've reached the end of our discussion. Everything you've done so far has been totally appreciated. And then I never heard a word. And that was from that one of the other people, like not the actual guy with the money. Yeah. And then a few months later, the guy, the money guy called me and he goes, that was pretty good. And I said, mm-hmm. what? And he goes, I, I swallow, I chew up and swallow guys like you mm-hmm. all the time. Right. And he goes, but for some reason you, you figured it, you figured it out. And he goes, you will have my respect till the end of time. Wow! Right? And he, hold on before you, before the applause. <laughs> I, so I just you know was gracious and thankful for what it was. And then uh, a few months later, he was headline news and is now serving a broad <laughs> sentence wow. for many years. Really, it was just super a leaving tingle details out. in your gut. Yeah, there was just something there. I just knew intuition is a pretty valuable asset no kidding and i guess my point is that you use it more powerfully than anything else like you you prioritize the intuition and the gut feeling yeah over the money and the fame and all the other stuff that people chase yeah i used to want to be famous Mm -hmm. uh i would accept it but i'm not in pursuit of it right uh and I used to want to have a lot of money, but b- unbelievably, Jim Carrey said something once that I'm like, why does that stick in my head of all the things? But he famously once said, again, I'm paraphrasing, he said something like, I wish that everybody could have all the fame and riches and wealth and all that stuff. Just have it so that they can see that that's not it. Hmm. And I was like, you know what? Because I respect him and he was a positive influence in my you know, youth, I'm going to believe that that's true. And I no longer associate myself with that kind of a pursuit. Right. So I live very simple. You've, you've seen my place. Mm-hmm. There's nothing too exciting. I got my wine collection, which yeah. is all gifts yeah. anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, and, but other than that, I don't, I don't, I have no need for a lot of things. I don't want a lot of things. I'd way rather have experiences and build things and create and mm-hmm. spread joy. Like that's at the end of the day, I just want to spread joy, mm. which is the new version of teach love. And it's mm-hmm. evident. It's a very cool series of stories. I there is one more that I didn't tell you about prior to <laughs> that I have to I just have to because I'm excited about it. Please. So uh, spreading joy for me is done. I try through humor, and one of my favorite things in that whole process is when people are like, you know, 
it, it self-critical or they're critical towards me about it. They're like, why do you keep making these horrible videos? Right? Like it's, mm-hmm. we've had a lot of fun with that idea and I'm okay with it. Like it's, it's, you gotta be able to do that. Yeah. Right. Um, but my real true thing is that humor has featured in threaded through the entirety of everything. There was humor in the magic. There was humor in the music. There was humor in all, all of it. Tons of humor throughout uh, Maxagram, even to the fact that, you know, Lachlan is, was our brand ambassador for so long. And he's so funny. Like if you've ever seen Night at the Roxbury or White Chicks or any mm-hmm. of those classics. So humor really has to play a key role. There's one thing we didn't talk too much about. It's the mindset versus heart mm. mindset that you have discovered. Well, I didn't discover it. I had it shoved into my brain with such beauty. <laughs> and it was this idea that mindset gets you up to a certain point, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get you all the way. And so, again, this is that person that we both know mm-hmm. who has had just a tremendous impact. I've only known them for a few months, too. Mm. And just this just the way that my thought processes have changed, have all been informed by that specific thing, which is, uh, I was told in no uncertain terms, mindset's only going to get you 30% of the way. Mm-hmm. You want to go the, you want to go the full hundred? You gotta, you gotta come from here. It's gotta be your, your heart has a mind. Mm-hmm. Your heart is your mind, right? But, and it, the, the weirdest thing about it all is that Whenever I would think mindset, I would always be like, uh, you, when you think mindset, you're thinking up here. You can feel yourself thinking mm-hmm. up here. And then when they said, think in terms of heart mindset, right? Well, mm-hmm. for one, mm-hmm. what's the symbol of love? Heart. <laughs> so I'm all in, right? Yeah. 100%. And so then I started to think from here. And it's crazy. It's crazy what all has changed. Not just those weird lines on my forehead, mm-hmm. but a lot of things have changed. So how do you know the difference? How do you know when you're thinking with your heart versus thinking with your mind? Because if you closed your eyes right now and just thought a thought, so think about, uh, I don't know, just pick anything. Okay. Think about it in your head. Yep. Now think about it from your heart, intentionally from your heart, specifically and physically from your heart. Yeah, it changes. There's a difference in how it feels, right? And what I'm about to deliver. It's like the path to that spot changed when I went to my heart. It's and what matters about it changed. Yes. Yeah, exactly. To me, that's having been given that is one of the greatest gifts of my lifetime that I've ever received. Wow. Yeah. I have one last thing that sure. uh, you'd mentioned, I guess, that the man who tapped the secrets of the universe. Oh, I'm my not gosh. I'm not sure what it is, but I wanted to hear. Okay. <laughs> so this is the, the, the whole thing about mindset is, is one thing. And the whole thing about heart mindset is another thing, but they are connected, as mm-hmm. you know. Right now, along my journey of reading all the great mindset books, you know, Think and Grow Rich and The Secret mm-hmm. and Hero and Magic and all that, all that stuff. And it's all great. I cannot stress that enough. Go down that road like you'll get good stuff from it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I I can't remember what it was that I said to this person. And there's a whole million. There's another six podcasts that I could mm-hmm. go on a tangent here. Okay. But he said he looked me right in the eye and he goes, you need to read this book. Something I had said, he goes, you need to read this book. And he emailed it to me as like a scanned copy of a Xerox, of a PDF, of a <laughs> like horrible, horrible reading experience. <laughs> but it was so worth it huh. that I read the entire thing from beginning to end. And it's an entire book 
and I sat on my computer, like scrolling around and moving and <laughs> to be able to read it. Like sometimes we do that for 10 minutes just with a screenshot. I did it with a whole book, but it was that informative, that educational, that awe inspiring and changed how I approach things. Yeah. And so I ended up buying the real book because <laughs> I had to have it. And I think probably to date, I've probably given away 20 copies of it. Like I bought and given away 20 copies of it, even as recently again as last just three nights ago. Wow. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you why it matters. So the man who tapped the secrets of the universe was Walter Russell. And the man who wrote the book, The Man Who Tapped the Secrets of the Universe, about Walter Russell was Glenn Clark. Glenn was on a journey of discovery to try to find someone who's like, has anybody figured this stuff out yet? Mm -hmm. You know, like what's going on? And there's been great cosmologists over the years and whatnot, but he ended up happening upon this Walter Russell and he was able to experience a lot of time journaling and scribing what he, what Walter Russell had done. And it's crazy to say this, but Walter kind of figured out love. He was kind of the first one to like figure it out and make it make sense mm -hmm. and make it make, yeah, there's, I don't want to give too much away either. Cause I really feel like if everybody read this book and you can read it in, an, in like a couple hours, maybe three or four hours, okay. right? It's not a super long book. The way that it changed how I understand how to look at things mm. is what was the big takeaway from this book. So Walter famously took all these different situations and then told Glenn the story about how he took this horrible situation and turned it into a positive, hmm. right? Um, or how he took an unlikely situation and turned it into something extraordinary. I love it. Is there anything you haven't had a chance to say that you wanted to say? All right. I'll tell you one off the top of my head. Um, this is sort of a beatnik, wax poetic little prose on love. No, gang no gangster. Okay, no beatboxing either? No beatboxing either. Okay. No. As a child lives a day in a way like a fairy tale, so too are we when we bask in the sunny veil of our surroundings, each unto thee be, finding you found things, everything we see, to be an art form, striking emotion, to be or not to be, making the motion of a release upon drawing your bow, release depicts love to the first one you show. Cupid's the culprit, love is the rainbow, all of eternity, making the pain go, searching for comfort from an ancient tradition, joining two to make an everlasting condition. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. More than a scene, it's like a misty haze, a ballad of joy before a tale of two hearts, two become one from separating apart. Symphony, literature, poetry, renaissance, rebirth of old days, past ways, deep thoughts, beauty, philosophies form a soliloquy. When one believes loving is a worthless ability, but when it's a case of overused infatuation, but love when it's true is a powerful sensation, a new sensation, a style of the times, my feelings displayed through the course of this rhyme. Oh, the sensation of holding your hand makes me feel so good that I can't stand it when I have to let go for just one minute. I wish that you could see my heart and what's in it. What? <laughs> That yes. was awesome. That was like spoken word meets Eminem. Yeah. That's amazing. That's what I mean. Like a little bit of beatnik sort oh, of wow. conscious type stuff. Well done. Thank you for yeah. humoring me. Thank You're you. welcome. <laughs> Weird, because that was the only one I ever did like that. The rest was all like funky business. Yeah. That was awesome. Oh, yeah. Thank you. You're well, welcome. Matthew, we're, I'm so grateful that you said yes. And then I met you and you me too. came to do this with us. Yes. I'm really excited to see where our friendship goes from here. Me too. I think. And cool things in the future. Tons. Thank you for sharing your life with us. Yes. And all your stories. It's the first time I've ever done that. It's kind of kind of wild. That's why I had to ask you. I'm like, you sure? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. How so, does it feel? Does it feel opening? 
I like I actually do have sort of like a chemical feeling right now just being here and I just hope that it comes across more awareies than unawareies. I think it did for <laughs> Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Been enlightening and really fun. I'm Talk glad. To you. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. 2023, still a dope MC. I'm in the place to be. I'm on the INP. Trevor to my left on the MIC. Angela to my right on the other. She be keeping Trevor in check and keeping me on track. Whenever we go off, she's always bringing us back. Together they inspire with their guest creators. What's the podcast name? Inspiring Neighbors.